Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Tuesday, great to be with you on this Wednesday as uh, we roll through with you and. Uh, don't forget, coming up, Santa tonight, S-Claus, huge fan, 6-7. to seven. Another, And now, now they show it on Facebook. First time in the history of the show. Yeah, we'll have our Facebook stream yeah. at 6. So, yeah, like yeah. WKOK on Facebook, and you'll be able to catch the the boys and girls with Ann Blugis in the Magic Radio Room. Yeah, I'll have to show you the room here in a little bit. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Uh, you know, and of course, there's... <laughs> There's always that big kid in the hallway. Oh, yeah. Trust me. <laughs> oh, you want another suit? All right. That's just fabulous. Yeah. Okay. He says he owns four suits? No, he wants a no, he wants a PlayStation 4. PlayStation 4. Yeah. Well, they're on sale over here at Best Buy. Right. <laughs> All right. Uh, time now for our play-by-play call of the day. Down to Simmons against Jimmy Butler to the left of the lane. Ben gets Joel to pop out. Reddick gets the ball up top Embiid. Three ball by Embiid. Up and good. Joel Embiid knocks it out. And the Sixers are up by seven. A triple by JoJo. 111-104. Sixers Radio Network last night. And uh, really a great game for them as they played at Minnesota last night. And you would say on the surface, oh, yeah, Minnesota with their the way they're doing. Uh, that would be a tough place for them to win. Well, they walked in and won. So that's great. Okay. Uh, Andrew Callahan, 24-7 Sports, joins us. Andrew, welcome back. It's great to have you with us. Hey, thanks for having me back, Steve. Andrew, let's uh, let's uh, break down just a little bit uh, the awards that have been handed out. Mike Kosicki ends up being a second-team sporting news. We know that Saquon Barkley, a couple first-team All-Americans when it comes to being a running back. All the others are all-purpose. Uh, how do you think it uh, broke out in your opinion? I think this is fair. You know, again, with, with Barkley, it ties into the Heisman conversation we've had before, and I'm sure you've had with other guests. Is just, you know, his numbers are obviously not reflective of the player that he is, but that's what we've got to go on in sports, right? You know, this is it's a large degree of meritocracy. You earn what you get. And, of course, his performance is time their teammate. But people still with these teams, I think, recognize his, his capabilities and his rare talent. So I think he was plotted fine. And same with Mike Kosicki. I mean, this is, you know, a pretty good year for tight ends, whether you're looking at Mark Andrews, Oklahoma, Trey Pumagalli up at Wisconsin. So he's a great player, and I think they were recognized as such. When you look at the job that Gasicki did this year, because we've obviously talked a lot about Barkley, what did you like about what Mike Gasicki did this year, and what do you see him as the ne- at the next level in terms of where he can get to? 
Well, I like what I saw from Mike. Was there? There was certainly an improvement, you know, in his blocking, which is obviously no longer a strength of his game. But you know, the most common block that he had to make, Steve, was in with their split zone run, which is basically you know an inside give to Barkley, where he's got the opportunity to bounce back. And as he's getting the handoff, you see Mike go from one side of the offensive line to the other. He'll make a block of an unblocked defensive end. So he was able to handle that pretty consistently. Sometimes he'd come inside against the defensive tackle uh, or go on the outside. The blocking improved. And I think just he was able to stay consistent throughout the year. He had a very good year a year ago, but I know he had trouble maintaining his weight in 2016. And that just speaks to the conditioning work and, and all the strength work he had. And just so was able to continue that on from, uh, you know, 2016. It was a great year, but it was really one out of three that you had seen from him. So the fact that he was able to repeat that and really improve upon the weakest parts of his game, I think is a real credit to him and the work that he put in. Pro Football Focus, of course, does grades on everyone, Andrew. You always watch a lot of tape. A guy that you actually gave a pretty good grade to is Steven Gonzalez. When you watch the guys up front, what did you see on tape, and what did you see from Gonzalez? You know, I thought Gonzalez did a good job. In my mind, that was a curious selection. And, again, their grades are not – they're made by a variety of different people. I'm not speaking specific to, to Steven, you know, one game to the next. But it's always important to keep in mind because they do – such a great volume of work, not only at the college level, but pro level, and that takes you know, a great number of people. So inherently, their grades are going to be a little inconsistent from team to team, conference to conference. And I think when you look at Steve, you know, we had heard calls for him to be a little bit more consistent and physical, not only just from fans or media, but James Franklin and Matt Limegrover. To me, I think the better selection would have been um, Brendan Mann. You know, Stephen Gonzalez was better you know, uh, you know, than a year ago. It wasn't as big of a drop-off between the run block and pass protection, but you know, when you're looking at the best performances by a Penn State offensive lineman, I, I probably would have gone in a different direction. All right, which then brings up the middle of that line. Connor McGovern, Stephen Gonzalez, Brendan Mann. At some point, one, someone else, a combination of people are going to have to handle Vita Vea. You've now started to at least start to look at some tape of that. How tough a handle is this guy, and does he need multiple attention? He does. And to be honest, Steve, I think this is going to be the biggest test they've seen in the last two seasons. So, you know, Mann, um, McGovern, and Gonzalez, of course, you know, were all there at the end of last year. They had a big problem with, I'll uh, call him CBT, who's a nose tackle for USC, went on to be a draft pick. His last name is full of consonants and about 13 letters long. Um, but, but basically, <laughs> he, he was a guy who shut down the inside running game in that fourth quarter of the Rose Bowl and was the biggest reason why Penn State just couldn't score when it needed to and run out the clock. Vita Bay is a better player. He, he's bigger. He's more explosive. He, he's a better pass rusher. He's going to be a top 10, if, you know, not top 15, top 20 pick in the NFL draft. Stevie T went, and I believe the sixth round of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, you know, the, the draft projection always doesn't correlate to your quality of player at the college level, but in this case it does. He's outstanding, and it's going to be a real problem for Penn State's offensive line. I think one of the guys in the last 10 years that always impressed me at Penn State was Jordan Hill because Jordan Hill was not only explosive on the line of scrimmage, but he also had the ability to use his hands like a linebacker would use his hands. When I watch Vita Vea, Andrew, I see the same thing except at a much bigger man. Uh, when you look at him on tape, what about his ability to use his hands effectively? Yeah, I mean, they're heavy, they're violent, and he's able to keep a keen awareness, obviously. It's not, not just this you know, tunnel vision to get into the backfield and penetrate and leave an open gap behind him or to either side to side. He's under control. He uses that power and that strength and athleticism, you know, in the perfect combination, really. And that's what makes him so dynamic. I mean, you know, six foot five, 350 pound guys are, of course, rare, but, but those who have the ability to use every single pound and ounce of, you know, their body and their power is perhaps the rarest thing you'd find in football. So the 
hands are impressive. It's just really the total package with him. And again, why, you know, you might say with someone of his size, okay, we can wear him out if we go up tempo, or perhaps if we can work a couple of trap blocks. I mean, they're going to have to use every bag of the trick if they want to contain him. But really, I, you know, I don't see that there is a way because this is a guy who's also a potential Pac 12 Defender of the Year, in my opinion. Andrew, I don't know how much you've really watched of Washington to this point. I'm sensing you've watched a lot more since the last time we talked. When you look at them, what is underrated about them? But at the same time, when you look at them, what might be overrated about them? You know, I think when you look at, at Washington, I, you know, the, the first thing that comes up is Chris Peterson, right? He's a head coach of the program. He's an offensive guy. He took the offensive use at Boise State, and it's changed a little bit since he's been with the Huskies. And the, you really look at his offense, and it almost doesn't stem from, you know, what you would see as, you know, a normal offense where you've got a couple of base running plays and a couple of pass concepts you really rely on, and that's really your offense. You know, for Penn State, for example, they're a West Coast passing game and inside zone when they're on the ground. Washington is really just a collection of plays that complement each other so well. So I would say he's underrated about them. Chris Peterson's a widely heralded coach, but I think he's even underrated in the national level simply because he hasn't gotten to the playoff more than once a year ago. And, and what they do with all their shifts, their trades, and their motions, they're so multiple and so efficient at it that they're really able to attack any weakness that you have. On the flip side, I think when you look at what might be a little bit overrated in the instance that they don't have so many Depth, so much depth right now behind Dante Pettis, the wide receiver. You know, he's a right. guy, another high draft pick. He's outstanding. He's got the NCAA record for career punt return touchdowns. He's highly dynamic. But, you know, otherwise, they don't have too many options that I think Big Brown can go for. So I think that they should certainly pay a lot of attention to Pettis and they should be able to get away with playing single coverage and some of his other targets. When you look at, at Jake Browning, is he a guy that can make the big play or at times is he too careful with the football? You know, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, again, they had to be careful, no doubt, when you when you look back at their game against Alabama a year ago where there's just such a difference in athleticism. And it's not, you know, seismic, but, but definitely noticeable with that defense. And you don't see that so much with, you know, the offense here with Browning. I think what they have to be careful of as play callers that you got Miles, uh, you know, uh, uh, excuse me, the running back is, is outstanding. So Miles they want to have a run, right? Yes, I've been following a lot of Penn State basketball. In case you couldn't pick up a Miles, they're just going to be in with the Hoops program next year. Miles Gaskin is outstanding. I mean, you know, he was a guy who nearly reached 2,000 yards this year. They want to be able to feature them both. I think Browning, you know, if anything, he can hit that big play. Um, but yep. airing on the side of caution, not necessarily a bad thing. Again, they face good defenses, and that's something you might want to do against Penn State. Um, but, you know, if you're going to take a shot, you want to take one of the guy like Pettis, and that's what they'll be able to do on December 30th. All right, Al, let's get to basketball since you brought that up. They're coming off the win over George Washington. When you watched that first half, what struck you about the first half that you saw against GW? I think it was the completeness of the half, offensively, defensively, and urgency. You know, you look at some of the losses that they've had. You know, Wisconsin, of course, are going to be a little bit mentally fatigued in that first half. NC State's a game that I, I think is the biggest head scratch for the ball. But the common denominator was it just wasn't that urgency. They weren't in attack mode. They certainly were against George Washington. The press was highly effective. It's something I wrote about yesterday. Is I think they should continue to use that as much as they can. And it, that's what really led to, you know, just that complete game. They got easy buckets on defense, and that was a great performance that led to better offense. As you've watched the development of Mike Watkins, Andrew, what are you seeing? 
Well, I'm seeing a guy who, whose footwork has certainly improved. I think he's got more confidence in his offensive game, where it's a hook shot here or just simply attacking the basket, going for putback. You know, we, we've all seen the dunk. I mean, that was flashed immediately last year, something that was going to be different with him on the floor as opposed to past years at Penn State basketball. So he's just becoming a more complete player. You know, I think he's gotten a little bit better uh, defensively with his discipline. We, you know, he run into foul trouble so many times a year ago. That's been a little bit better so far. But the real test will be Big Ten play, right? I mean, that's when he's going to see the business bigs that he'll see all year outside of Texas A&M a couple of weeks ago, um, but he, he's better overall, and I think that starts you know from the ground up. Obviously winning the next four, they're going to be favored in all four, and they should win the next four, but then, now it's a question yep. of going out and doing it. What do they need to do in terms of quality to play to then show that they are ready for the Big Ten? Yeah, well, I'm glad you asked that, because I mentioned writing yesterday just about, you know, uh, things they need to do over these next four games. And the first thing, obviously, besides win out that runs to my mind, is get a little bit more offense from that bench, and specifically from their backcourt. You look at Nazir Bostic, he has as many points as he does turnovers the last four games. Now, he was, of course, held out for a violation of, of team rules on Saturday, but he's a guy who... Pat Chambers had pointed to as a breakout player of the year. So he can impact the game in a number of ways, but he's got to get that offense going because they've only had eight points from their bench in the last three games. That comes right. from him, being, of course, being shut out. And Jamari Wheeler, too, I think could really shoot a little bit more. He's only averaging three points per game, but right now neither of them are very efficient. Yet Bostic is ending more possessions when he's on the floor than Shep Garner and Mike Watkins. So if you're going to take the ball into your hands that often, you better be able to finish. I think they need to get more from them. Satchel Pierce has got to come back. He's been a healthy scratch the last two games. And I, you know, try and tinker with some more lineups. They, they've got such a drop off right now from their starting five because it's been so excellent that any time they dip into that bench, you know, maybe some four guard lineups around Mike Watkins play Lamar Stevens at the five. Just mix and match a little bit more because they'll be able to do that against these next four opponents, as you said, because they're going to be so heavily favored. So I think they should take advantage of that before it's got to be all systems go on January 2nd against Maryland. Andrew, absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for your time today. Hey, thanks, Steve. Be well. Andrew Callahan, 27, 24-7 Sports. Great to have him on the show. We'll hear from him next week. Also, Ryan Snyder next week on recruiting as we roll through this. Uh, coming up, Bob Grove. We'll talk about the Penguins who have been up and down. We'll reveal what Greg Schiano's contract may have looked like at Tennessee. And in the end, how really wrong all of this was. This was as wrong as wrong gets. Uh, obviously, it's been a long time since I talked to Greg Schiano, but he was here for five years and like and, resp- and like and respect him very, very much. As we continue here on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Sunbury Motors. All right, ESPN.com reporting that if Greg Schiano had gone to Tennessee, it would have been a six-year deal worth $27.7 million. He e-signed the agreement, and the agreement was signed by then-athletic director John Curry, who has since been replaced by Philip Fulmer. But the document was not signed, according to ESPN, by Tennessee's chief financial officer, David Miller. And the school says that because Miller did not sign it, the contract would be invalid. Uh, the school announced it was no longer pursuing Shiano after protests on campus and social media posts raised questions about Shiano's past as an assistant coach at Penn State. I can tell you there is no past at Penn State other than the fact that he was a really good coach and a really good guy to deal with. I mean, it is stunning. Stunning how 
a an assumption or a false an assumption and a falsehood has taken on a life of its own and cost a guy a chance at a job like that. And many, many here across the Valley have uh, fond uh, thoughts of Greg Schiano with his time at Bucknell. Yes, no question. And they should. Uh, Greg Schiano is a, like I said, I knew him for five years. Really liked him. Great guy, the whole thing. But there have been assumptions. Assumptions are awful. Right? You have to deal in facts. And there is no fact at all to back up anything that was put on social media. Well, it's like what I tell people with uh, the word assumption or assume, you know, take <laughs> yeah. take the fir- take the first three letters and Tony uh, Randall. Yeah. <laughs> Tony Randall and the odd couple. You know, don't be you know, don't assume and don't be a, uh, you know. <laughs> Tony Randall was in a in a courtroom, Tony Randall playing Felix Uniger. He says, "When you assume, he <laughs> circles the first three letters out of then you and me." <laughs> well, that's what uh uh uh, there, there, there are assumptions made, and no facts around those assumptions at all. Zero, zero facts, and I can assure you, zero facts around the assumptions. But there have been assumptions and and allegations made that just aren't backed up by any facts. Yeah, there's such a thing as uh, you know hunches and gut feelings, but uh, you know. No, no. I mean, it's not even a hunch or a gut feeling. Oh, it's no. just, I mean, no. it's you know that that's how wrong all of this was. And it, you know, if Tennessee wants to run their athletic department by mob rule, then that's obviously you know they've got Jeremy Pruitt now, who is beloved by many at Georgia for his time as the defensive coordinator there. <clears throat> okay, uh, I did the tax lawyer bowl. I know how people felt. Um, not totally enamored. Uh, Tommy Nobis passed away today. Did you see that? The first ever player drafted by the Atlanta Falcons. He was a great linebacker at the University of Texas. And when the Falcons started as a franchise in 1966, uh, he was the first player the Falcons took in the draft and was a lifelong Atlanta Falcon. But... uh, Again, for someone my age, I remember the Falcons being an expansion team. I also remember that my New York Giants were the first team they beat. I watched that game. I was like, oh, that's great. That's their first one. That's fabulous. They lost to an expansion team. Um, Oh, well. Uh, But that's... uh, He was really one of the great linebackers out there in the 60s. At a time when the the NFL had a lot of great linebackers, and the middle linebacker spot was uh, a coveted spot to be in. That was Dick Buckus. That was Ray Nitschke, um, and a Tommy Novus put together a great college career, and actually put together. Even though he's not in the Hall of Fame, he put together actually a terrific NFL career, and he played. And here's a guy who played his entire career with uh, the Atlanta Falcons, all of it. And he made the Pro Bowl five times. This is not just a guy who was on the expansion team. He made the Pro Bowl five times during the course of his career. I mean, great player. And uh, yeah. essentially, he played his entire career with... uh, with the Falcons. 
His number is retired by both the Falcons and by the University of Texas, by the way. Texas has also retired his number. And uh, when he was in college, he won the Outland, he won the Maxwell, he won the new Brockney Trophy, he was a consensus All-American, he was on the 63 Texas National Championship team. He's a heck of a player. Heck of a player. Uh, another trade by the Marlins as uh, uh, Michelle Suna is dealt to the Cardinals, it looks like, in principle. And that's just another player out the door with a big contract, I might add. Now, maybe they're reshaping this based on um, on contracts, trying to get the number more reasonable so they can then make other moves. We'll find out. Bob Grove next half hour. We'll talk with him about the Penguins. There aren't many teams in the NHL as defending Stanley Cup champions that are minus 58 at even strength. The Penguins have scored 45 even strength goals this year. They've given up 103. Their power play makes up for it. It's off the charts. But there's a reason right now they're sixth in the division. They've got Vegas tomorrow night, and Vegas is 19-9 and on the year as an expansion team. They're six points away from the best record in the NHL. That's remarkable. We'll talk about that next half hour brought to you by Sunbury Motors. Penn's Tavern is where you want to celebrate this holiday season. Whatever feel you're looking for, Penn's Tavern along the Susquehanna River can accommodate your needs. Mountain stone walls and wood floors can be found in the original dining area, giving you that old world charm. Continue back to the newly renovated River Room with 12 PA microbrews on tap. Grab a burger and sit back and relax in this cozy pub area. Penn's Tavern has the best gift certificate offer for the holidays. Buy five gift certificates of the same denomination and receive a sixth one free. Penn's Tavern, a piece of heaven on Route 147, five miles south of Sunbury. <laughs> Rudolph, look below. Those four city blocks of new Fords can mean only one thing. We're at Sunbury Motors Ford. Santa's right. Only one Ford dealer in Central PA has four city blocks of new Fords. It's Sunbury Motors Ford. This holiday season, stop in and see why SMC was voted best in the Valley. Reader's choice for best car dealership in the Valley for two years in a row. SMC has over 88 new Ford trucks with savings up to $13,500. Choose from 33 new 2017 Ford Escapes, starting as low as 19775 And Sunbury Motors Ford has financing as low as 0% for up to 72 months on select models. A new car truck from Sunbury Motors is a gift the whole family can enjoy. Sunbury Motors Ford in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, serving all of Pennsylvania for over 102 years. Naughty or nice, SMC is where you want to be. <laughs> Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. You have no idea the professional thrill of sitting in the Mark Lawrence studio. I mean, you just feel like you are at the seat of power. Oh, did we rename it? I wasn't aware of that. Where I'm staring down a fictional Joe McGranahan. <laughs> <laughs> now, during the break, they gave me a tour of the Magic Radio Studio. Isn't that cool? And it's really, really cool. Uh, and I was telling Sean the story. We'll get to Bob Grove here in a moment. I was telling him the story that 35 years ago or so, one of the stations I was working at, only one time, not like 
WKOK, where it's an 85-year tradition of every night between 6 and 7 having Santa and the Magic Radio. That for one night, we would have Santa on the show when Santa wasn't on WKOK. We were able to you know, get a time when Santa wasn't here, so we got Santa on the show with us. And they said, you know, it would be really great if you could be on the show with Santa. I oh! Said, I said, why? <laughs> <laughs> they said, because you're the one that has kids. I said, oh. So this is obviously not the level. This is a Santa's helper Santa. Sure. This is a mall Santa. Yeah. As opposed to the real one we have with the magic radio here. At Honcho. Yes. I mean, the, the, the top dog. Big kahuna. Yeah. Top, I mean, big man on campus. Number one in charge. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Right up. So we have one of the helper dudes. And he go, ho, ho, ho. And this was back in a time where, you know, there's always trends in toys. And so I'm sitting there, and now well, let's go to Sarah in Belfont. Right. And she comes on with her cute little voice. She says, hi, Santa. You know, and, of course, he's very, really great with her, very nice. And then says, I would like, she says, my little pony. And he says, you want a pony? <laughs> so they're going, oh, this is going to be just a disaster. <laughs> and I, and I, I looked over and I said, oh, Santa, always the kid or always thinking big. Of course little Sarah wants to have my little pony. I said, it's the hot toy this year. He goes, oh, yes, my little pony. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so then little Bobby calls up from Port Matilda. Right? And little Bobby says, oh, Santa, I'd like a Transformer. Right? And he goes, a transformer. This, I'm not kidding you. You mean one of those big things that sits on a telephone pole? That's what you want. <laughs> uh, so they go, oh, I am not getting paid enough for this. <laughs> <laughs> I then had to describe and explain the toy to Santa, to which he then, to his credit, played along. <laughs> I'm, like, oh. I'm just looking at the clock saying, we cannot get to 6 o'clock fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> So thanks for the tour of the Magic Radio Studio with the with the Christmas tree, the beautiful uh, Coca Cola WKOK, two of them yeah. uh, radio stations in there, the holiday decorations, how it's set up for Facebook, all the names of the children that will be here tonight, uh, how everything is set up. It really it's an eighty. This is the eighty fifth year of this. It is a marvelous, remarkable, fun, and to this area. An important tradition, and proud to have even a small part in it. So appreciate that. All right, let's talk a little hockey. Since it's since it's 21 degrees with a wind chill of two below zero, <laughs> let's talk hockey. Let's bring in Bob Grove to talk about the Pens. Bob, welcome. Great to have you with us. Well, thanks very much, Steve, and the same to you and all your listeners as well. All right. I feel like when I look at the Penguins at, what, 16, 13, and, what's three right now, I, I don't feel like anything's really changed since the last time we've talked. Would that be accurate? 
Yeah, I know. I think so. Um, I mean, the the Penguins right now are they're a good hockey team, but they're not a great hockey team. They're not a team that uh, looks like it's on the way to uh, winning another Stanley Cup. They've you know they've got some they've got some issues to deal with, and they just can't really. Uh, they had a stretch here now where they you know recently they won five out of six, but you know they just got off a homestand where they lost three out of five, and they've been nearly unbeatable at home um, under Sullivan. Uh, so it's um, it's one thing or another that's bothering them right now, and um, you know you just don't get the sense that w- without changes they're gonna they're gonna get where they want to go at the end of the season. And the other part is, above all is their ability to win or the lack thereof one goal games. Uh, how surprising has that been? Because everyone knows how mentally tough the Penguins have been. Yeah, no, and this was one of their strong suits last season was was in those tight games. They found a way to win almost all the time. They were really good. And this year, not so much. Um, this year, uh, they've had trouble. They've, they've given up leads early in games, and then they've been able to claw some of it back, but not all of it. Um, they've had some breakdowns at ends of games that have hurt them. Uh, so this is, you know, this is a team that's really kind of struggling to find any sense of consistency. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, for the most part, even though they're back to the middle of the, the, the pack here, they're, they're not scoring so many goals. Um, that they can just rely on that alone. Um, they're, they've turned it around. They're scoring goals at a, at a pretty decent clip the last you know dozen games or so, but they're not scoring enough um, that makes them coast through games, and they're having this scrap, and they're not, they're not able to put it all together. So these one-goal games, and they've played more of them, Steve, than anybody in the league. Uh, that's the, yeah, If you can't find a way to win those, those kinds of games, then you're in trouble. Yep, 32 games this year. 17 have been decided by one goal. Last year they were 19 and 3 in those games. Right now they're 10 and 7. And that's the most losses decided by one goal in the NHL right now. Right. And of those, you know, and of those 10 wins, I think five or six of them came in overtime. So right. they found a way to get it done in overtime and they've only played one shootout game. So they um a lot of their losses have been in regulation. Uh, one-goal games, especially lately. And, you know, a good example was the game they played against the Leafs on Saturday night. They fell down 3 nothing after the first period. Game was over. They were the better team the last two periods. The Leafs started trapping. The Leafs weren't interested in scoring anymore. They were interested in protecting their lead, and they did it. But the Penguins got all the way, you know, they got back within a goal and, and came within a goal post of tying the game in the final minute, but they didn't get there. And so, you know, the moral of that story is don't give up three in the first period. And this has been, starts have been a problem for them, and there have been a few games like that this year where they've fallen behind and then they just can't get over the hole that they've dug themselves and that was not as much an issue last year last year steve the penguins led the league in number of wins when they allow the first goal and they led the league and they also led the league in number of games they won after trailing after 20 minutes this year they're way down the list on in both of those categories i don't know if these guys have take it on themselves to say, okay, we had a bad first period, no problem, been here, done that last year, we overcome this, we'll find a way. But this year they're not finding a way. They're minus 58 at even strength. They have scored 45 even strength goals this year, which is 29th out of 31 teams. They've given up 103 at even strength. Bob, when you watch them at even strength, why? Well, so that's a team statistic, right? So the first thing you look at is what kind of puck possession do you have? And that's not as much an issue for the first couple lines, but it is for the third and fourth lines. And that's been the focus of the of uh, the attention on the Penguins 
inability to, to deliver five on five is that their third and fourth lines aren't driving possession. They don't have the puck a lot, those two lines. They're playing without it, especially the fourth line. Those guys aren't chipping in. Riley Shea in the third line center has now started to chip in, so he's much closer to looking like what kind of what you expected. But the rest of the guys, the wingers on the third and fourth lines, and the fourth line as a whole just isn't they're, – they're not contributing anything offensively. And so, you know, I think the way a lot of people look at this, Steve, is when you're on the fourth line, it's no one's expecting you to score a bunch, but they are expecting you not to give up a bunch. And right. that, so these guys are all, not only are they not scoring, they're not possessing the puck, and they are giving up goals, more goals than you want from a group that's not contributing. So that's that's the problem. And you know the Penguins' power play has been able to make up for a chunk of this because their power play has just been spectacularly good. No, but no it, doubt. you know, as we all know, what happens in the playoffs is you're not going to get four and five power plays every night. You better get it done five on five. In these last two seasons, the Penguins were able to do that. This season, they haven't been able to. Past nine games, Phil Kessel has seven goals. What, what you know? What are you seeing in his game, Bob? That is not just Phil Kessel like, but then a cut above from what we've seen from Phil Kessel. Well, the one thing he's doing right now that better than he's ever done it since he came to Pittsburgh is the frequency that he's taking shots with. He yeah. is shooting the puck way more than he ever has. This is something I think Penguins fans have been dying to see him do because even before he ever played a game for the Penguins, that was his calling card as a goal scorer. He's got this phenomenal wrist shot, and people would say, why isn't he using it more? And there was never a great answer. The guy can pass the puck too, but this year he's come out, he's played much closer to a complete game, so his compete level's been better without the puck. He's really battling when he doesn't have it, and when he does have it, he's getting it on the net, and he's making some really good plays, and that's working well for him because he's playing with a guy in Evgeny Malkin who, as soon as he gets the puck, Steve, he's looking for, to a fault almost, is looking to Kessel every single time he gets it, and this year, when Kessel gets it, he's shooting it, and so, not, not, you know, he's on eight to have a career year for a number of shots, and he's going to have more goals and points than he's had in any season he's been here in Pittsburgh. Now that Matt Murray is back, do does Mike Sullivan have to figure out what the right workload is for him or, or not? Uh, I, I think it's business as usual, to be honest with you. I think, you know, um, Tristan Jari's been very good, um, no question yeah. about it. Uh, no question, but it's still Matt Murray's, it's still his cage. You know, he's the number one guy, and I think he gets the majority of the starts. So, you know, you play Jari and, you know, second nights of back-to-backs, and, you, you know, you might play him when you have maybe three and four uh, situations. Maybe he gets an extra game here or there, but I, th- I still think you're, you're playing Matt Murray, you know, at the, at the usual pace of, that is so that he's going to play, you know, 55, 60 games. Um, I think that's where they want him to be. You and I both know the Penguins have played more games than any team in the NHL the last two years because they've, they're the one that's gone to the final and won it each of the last two years. At times, do they seem tired? Uh, I'll answer that this way because this has been a point of discussion since the beginning of the season in Pittsburgh. At times, I guess you could make the case that they look tired because yeah. they're certainly not stringing together 60-minute games. And the issue has been, as we just said, the start.
parts to their games haven't been great, so I, I would say it looks that way. It might be a little bit of that, but it shouldn't. It, it really shouldn't be a factor for me. It just it just should not. You've, yeah, you've played more than everybody else, and yes, it's going to take a toll, but I don't think it's going to take such a toll that it gets reflected in your play throughout the season. Um, they have a tough schedule this season, 19 back-to-backs, most in the league. Uh, I get all of that, but... Yeah, I think they've they've got to rise. They they just have to find a way to rise above it. And the way you, and this is the thing, Steve, is the way to do that is as we as we said is you manage their time when they're not playing. Maybe you don't practice every day, right? You know the way you travel. You, you the coach and the staff can do all kinds of things to help them along the way. But once the sixty minute. Uh, game is in front of them. The best way to deal with this is to come as close as you can to being able to roll four lines. Don't have a fourth line that can only give you five. They're not playing well. You need those guys to get you eight or nine minutes, or you know, or ten minutes, or whatever the case may be. More like eight or nine with the Penguins, so that you can you have faith in these guys, you have confidence in these guys, and you don't have to load your top line up with minutes because you're trailing in games and they have to play more because you know you can't put the fourth line out when you're trailing in the third period. So that's the way. The way you manage that is start games better, be in games, so that you can be more closely in a situation where you can roll your lines, and then that helps everybody. The Vegas Golden Knights will be next tomorrow night at ten out of T-Mobile. Uh, they're nineteen nine and two. Uh, I don't know how much you've had a chance to watch them at all, but as an expansion team, how impressed are you by the start? I've never seen an expansion team play the way these guys do. Never. These, they're the stick of the NHL right now for me. I mean, Tampa's been the best team. Um, yep. you know, so, but I'm going to be honest with you. This team was smartly built by George McPhee. He, yeah, he took advantage of probably gave him a better team than any other expansion team in the history of the league has ever had a chance to have. But he took advantage of it. He played his cards right. He got some guys in. And you know, as you go through their lineup, Steve, and you look at at some of the stuff they're doing, and you look at guys like William Carlson and Columbus. He's one of their leading scorers. Jonathan Marsh's show, and of course, they've got a handful of Penguins. David Perron's been like reborn in Vegas. <laughs> James Neal's been great. He put together a team that is highly competitive. They're quick. And they and they really work well with Gerard Gallant, their coach. They've got a lot going for them. This team, it is amazing to me that we are approaching Christmas, and this is an expansion team, and they are six points away from being the number one overall team in the league. You've never seen anything like this in the history of the NHL, and it's amazing to watch. It is, and not only that, but in their market, they really needed this in their market to get, you know, because you have that little honeymoon when you're an expansion team. To do this right away, I mean, is really is really amazing. No, that's exactly right, right? So you figured you, you're, they're going to be in Vegas, and you try to introduce, well, you know, introduce. I mean, they've had an ECHL team for years in Vegas, et cetera. So, but you try to introduce a wider audience and a different audience with all the people that move in and out of Vegas um, to, hey, isn't hockey fun? Come watch Vegas play. We're a lot of fun, blah, blah, blah. Maybe we don't win so much in the first couple of years. But now they've turned that completely on its head. They've been unbelievable on home ice. Their play has been great. Now they lost, you know, they lost last night um, in a shootout, but, um, 
it's just been it's been amazing to watch, and this is the this is the perfect start to a franchise for them. Absolutely perfect. Instead of McPhee now having to sit around and think about, okay, whose contract's coming up and who do I have to cut loose uh, for next year? He's 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 gonna he's gonna go to the deadline. He might be a buyer. Yeah. How about that? I want to ask you a couple big picture questions. Seattle uh, did approve improvements to Key Arena, uh, and it's going to be, I don't know, $400 million, some number like that, that they're going to put into Key Arena, which now puts them in a spot where they've applied for an expansion team. Now, you and I both know Quebec City, if they were to give them an expansion team, they'd be sold out in seconds. Uh, but the NHL is about markets. Uh, yep. What what did you think when you, you heard about the Seattle application on expansion? Well, I first thought that they finally got their act together in Seattle because they would have had a chance to be uh, Vegas if they'd have had their act together and had you know yes. an arena plan put together and ownership and the whole thing. That would have been Seattle. Uh, and then you wondered if it was ever going to happen because they couldn't find a way to get a plan together that worked for everybody. Now they've done it and take it to the bank. They're the next expansion team. Bob, thanks so much. Bob Grove joining us as we talk hockey with him. We'll wrap things up in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. All right, don't forget uh, news uh, coming up, uh, the news uh, block coming up uh, just after 5 o'clock, and then Santa and the Magic Radio here this evening from 6 to 7. You know, all the youngsters get a, an ornament, and uh, Sean showed me the ornament, and a beautiful ornament that each one of them gets. And then I looked at the back, and it said, if you need digital media, call what, what the heck was that about? <laughs> they added that in this year. I missed uh, that. Like, what the heck? <laughs> There's more desperation in that department, I realize. Really? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Got to finish the year strong. Or just finish the year. I, mean. <laughs> <laughs> right, I don't know. He kicked a figure to us yesterday. It sounded pretty rich in my book, but <laughs> and then I ran the figure past me. I Something tells me that um, um, that was under the category. I caught a fish this big. <laughs> I think that's what that moment ended Story up. Story gets better as time goes on. <laughs> No, so far it hasn't. Uh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Uh, we've got next week we're going to have a roundtable, or is that actually in two weeks, uh, two weeks before the bowl game, a roundtable with Trey Bauer and Todd Sadowski, my cohorts on WHVL on the Blue-White Tailgate. And also Jack Ham and Derek Williams will be coerced into joining the show on the 29th from Scottsdale. And that's what we're going to do. I mean, it's amazing how coercion. I'm sorry, Derek. We, if you don't do my show, we won't be going down to the sideline for any reports. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I have zero control over that. Right. <laughs> He's like, finally a sideline where I'm not going to be cold. <laughs> oh, believe me. He, the, the bowl thing is great for him. He's yeah. like, yeah. Although last year the Rose Bowl is only in the 50s. One of the chilliest ever. Now this is if they want, it can be indoors in the in the spaceship. You know the roof that they'll probably keep the roof closed. But this is the neat place where you have to step up onto the field because the field is grown outside. Where they water it, give it plenty of sunshine, then they hit a button and the field rolls into the stadium. That's pretty cool. 
That's really cool. I'd like to do that with my yard. <laughs> hey, I hit a button, man. I got a backyard. That's great. Hey, a lot of fun here today. We've got the big company holiday party coming up here tonight. Away we go. And uh, don't forget about Santa this evening from 6 to 7. And then Shikalemi and Lords Regional coming up this evening with Kevin and the Chief. Sean, always a pleasure. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Your station for news, weather, business, and CBS Sports Radio. News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury and on WKOK.com.